Hi, everyone, and welcome to Fashion Talks, the podcast about observing the world through the lens of fashion. I am your host, Donna Bishop, and I am here with Joanna Griffiths, the CEO of Nixwear. And in just six years, you have built Canada's sixth largest fastest growing, I should say, company. An item of NYX is sold every 10 seconds or less, hopefully. <laughs> like, congratulations on all of your success. What I find, and thank you so much for being here on the podcast. Of course, thanks for having me. So where I'd like to start is, you've been quite candid about, like, when you started NYX, you weren't setting out to start a fashion brand, you weren't setting out to start a technology brand, yet here you are with a fashion technology brand. What inspired the product? Because I imagine you wanted to start a product-based business, that that was part of the, the journey. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, when I started NYX, the idea was to create life-changing products. And so maybe that's why I never really made the connection to fashion or to technology. It was... Um, 2011, 2012, it was like the era of apps. Everything was like Uber for laundry, Uber for your dishes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, the Uber era of everything. And I was like, I want to make leak-proof underwear. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it really was driven by consumer needs and a consumer pain point and the fact that one in three women can leak when they are pregnant or post-pregnancy, so really inspired by new moms, um, as well as the 80% of women that can leak during their periods. So um, really set out, I would say, more than anything to create a company that was really driven around improving women's lives. And I think the fashion, like all the categories and sort of adjacent products that we've created since the technology have all really evolved as part of that service and, and purpose, which is like, let's help women improve their lives. Something that you've been quite candid about, because um, I'm sure people ask you all the time, you know, what are your top pieces of advice for starting? You know, how did you do it? How did you do it? And you're very candid about saying, it's actually not that complicated. I worked hard, things got really hard. I worked harder <laughs> and then I just didn't quit and I kept working. <laughs> and I, I think that's such um, profound things to share because we often confuse simple and easy as meaning the same things. And yeah. what you're saying is certainly simple. Yeah. But it was not an easy road by any means. And I'd love, to sh I'd love for you to share a couple of the stories about just some of the ways that you, you know, really like drilled down to create your product. Can you tell us about when you were asking your friends to wear Depends at oh, university? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. That was a fun one. <laughs> um, so... When I was doing my MBA, I was working on NYX the entire time, and I was in this really interesting class called Identifying New Business Opportunities. And so through that class, actually, is where we came up with the name for NYX and um, made a lot of great progress. But one of the kind of um, courses or the challenges that we had to do as part of that class was to get, was to start testing out a product or testing out a business idea. Um, and so I was one of the few with a physical product. And uh, I was te ha like testing this concept of leak-proof underwear. So to do it, I got about 20 of my female friends each to wear basically every single leak-proof product that was on the market. Oh, the glamour. Yeah, it's very glamorous. It gets better. <laughs> I wish it just ended there. It didn't end there. Um, so they wore 
you know, pads and depends and, and basically anything that I could find. It was, it was a pretty horrific series of products that they were wearing because the industry's come a long way since then. And then I gave them capsules with pre-measured amounts of water and I would text them and during class breaks, they'd have to go to the bathroom, pour out the water onto the leak-proof product and then text me back how they were feeling like physically and emotionally. And That's at, awesome. Yeah, and I think at first, the first one everyone wrote me back, by like the third break in the day, they would just text me and be like, can I swear on this? And they'd be like, I fucking hate you. There's not enough wine yeah. in all the world like, for you to make up for this. They're like, how do I feel? I feel soaking wet and like I have to go to my, you know, finance class now and like, why am I doing this for you? But uh, it was it was a fun day. For, <laughs> well, and really valuable research came out of that, right? It in did. terms of the like emotional impact of this very real situation that women are in. Exactly, exactly. And I think the point of that class and something that's so you know applicable for all of us is that you don't have to have a huge research facility or a huge lab to go and get customer feedback. You actually can do like really scrappy tests, and that's all that that was. It was like a scrappy test. Well, and I also love how you've talked about that you don't need to invent the wheel every time. No way. Like, you are quite um, open about how you've looked to other categories, seemingly unrelated, mm -hmm. for best-in-class technologies, which is how you came about talking to people who were cyclists with yeah. the Tour de France. Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, in the early days, I used to sell a lot of wholesale, and we'd go to different trade shows to sell our products, and one of the trade shows that we would go to is the... Um, leading kind of outdoor trade show called Outdoor Retailer. And they had a huge sourcing component at that show, which I loved. So I would kind of wander around and get to be inspired by the footwear industry, the outdoor industry, like all of these categories that were really using fabrics to do very cool things. Um, and so through that, um, basically ended up uh, talking to a group um, that makes most of the... Olympic outdoor gear for, the, they're an Italian company, but for their, the Italian teams. Um, and then they also produce uh, the raincoats that the riders wear in the Tour de France. And so we ended up partnering with them to make our like waterproof membrane for our leak-proof product. What was the reaction like as you're talking to some of these suppliers explaining that, in fact, no, you weren't looking for high-performance athletic raincoats, you were making leaf proof underwear oh, for women in Canada. <laughs> normally they think I'm totally crazy. And that's kind of been a common thread I'd say through, throughout time. Um, once, and I love, I actually love that. Like, I don't know if you've seen the Nike commercial with Serena Williams where she's talking about how people are saying when you try and do something bold, you're, as a woman, you're called crazy. So I get called crazy like all the time. And I, I might be a little. Um, I think all entrepreneurs are oh, a little bit sure, crazy. For, for sure, for sure. Um, but over, so in the beginning, that was really hard because you have no, you have no market proof. You have no, you know, you don't have a lot to kind of show as this is going to work. Um, over time, when you get that response, you know, the next question that they often ask is like, well, how many yards do you need? Or like, how many pairs are you talking about producing? And once the numbers get big, then it doesn't matter what you're trying to make, nobody cares. Do you know what I mean? Like, I could be like, I wanna take that waterproof membrane and wrap 
cars and they would say yes if the volume's big enough. So, <laughs> <laughs> Talking about being bold, I think, because you're often called a disruptor and an, and an innovator and, and fostering a sense of innovation, I think, is something that Nick's has done really well, both from an internal culture point of view, but and just from, you know, disrupting a category that had been stagnant you know, for so long. Mm. Um, part of that boldness has been pivoting the business. Like you've talked about when you decided to go completely out of the wholesale business and go back, like go direct to consumer. What was that, how was that decision made and what did it feel like to make that kind, that bold shift? Yeah, I think, you know, as I look back over the last six years, that was probably the biggest the most impactful choice I, I've made was deciding not to pursue wholesale anymore. And at the time it was really scary because over, I think 70% of our revenue came from wholesale partners. And oh so, my gosh. oh yeah, I like cut, cut our body You're killing in half. sacred cows, yeah. <laughs> like you are making big decisions. Yeah, but um, there was a, we were really struggling with the brand message that we were putting out through our own channels and the experience that people were having in stores. And a lot of that came to do with the fact that um, our, the majority of our partners weren't interested in carrying our whole size range because they didn't feel like their customer was um, necessarily a size extra large or double XL, or even in some cases a size large. And so we ended up with this really kind of um, challenging brand experience for our customers where they would drive around from store to store to store. They would get turned away because they didn't carry their size. And in going and trying to find our product, which was designed to make their lives better, they would have kind of like a really crappy day. And so that was the catalyst that made us pull out. Um, and then a lot of it often comes back to that idea of keeping things simple. Like we were doing so many things and I don't believe we were doing a single one of them very well. And um, I have a lot of friends that run fashion companies and that have tremendous wholesale partnerships. The truth is, is that in intimates, you're an accessories category. You're never like the thing, you know? Um, Which and is so interesting because if you, like, if your bra and your panties aren't fitting well, like you feel kind of awkward yeah. all day. Yeah, no, it's true, it's true. I think, I think we're starting to see the importance of it now as, as um, preferences are changing and the way we're dressing is changing and all of those things. But um, we just, we weren't in a position to be able to work with our partners to say, please carry this size or please carry this whole range or please do that. Um, so we pulled out of everything and just sold online. Now today, it's been three years of that. Today we're just starting to complicate things, <laughs> yeah, a little bit more. And so um, I'm really excited that we're doing this nationwide Nordstrom partnership. So we're in all of the Canadian Nordstroms um, with the biggest activation being here at the Eden Center. And that's through till the end of 2019, right? It is, yeah, yeah. So that'll be my next stop is going to check it out because I haven't had the chance to do that yet. And then we've also recently opened um, one retail store in Vancouver with a Toronto store opening on Thursday. So uh, this is our month of like two retail stores, nationwide Nordstrom partnerships. So we're starting to get a little bit more complicated. Just a few things going on. Extra glad you're here. Um, the bra is also one of the items that has gone through many, many iterations mm -hmm. with you. 
what's it like to decide to stop a, a certain category of design? Because the NYX bra has gone through many iterations mm. since you started. Yeah, I think that um, our job as innovators is to constantly watch and see how people are responding to the products that we're making. Um, I think our first bra was like truly revolutionary within the wireless category. Um, and we still carry um, two kind of versions of it, but we recently cut, we, did, we cut one of our top performing SKUs. Um, wow. I know. <laughs> but you know why? It's because we know where the assortment's heading and we're seeing feedback and we, we launched a new product called the Wing Woman, which is our first kind of seamless contour wire-free bra. We just knew that it was gonna outperform and cannibalize the sales of the other product. And so sometimes I think it's our job as, as brand and, and leaders and innovators to, to kind of know when to hang your hat on certain things. Is that a saying? Kind I think of. So. <laughs> Put it well, into the cupboard and close the door, and yeah. But that's also trusting your gut and your instincts, right? Yeah. And, and I think it's often taken it for granted that that again is something that is easy. Yeah. When I think it's a muscle that you have to develop, just like anything else. For sure. Yeah. You have to get comfortable making those uncomfortable decisions, and then over time, see that they go okay sometimes horribly wrong, but you realize that, that everything still ends up being okay, even when things go very badly. Is that when you bust out your failure champagne? Oh yeah, love to do that, love to do that. It was really hard when I was pregnant actually, because I make a lot of mistakes and I couldn't have failure champagne, so. I love um, how you talk about that a bit, how champagne is something that we tend to celebrate big accomplishments with, and you use it to celebrate Failures. Big failures, because failures are learning and failures are growth learning. Learning is not a noun, lessons. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I think that um, what I've seen over the course of building next is that you actually can, can gain a lot more from a failure or a setback than you can from a win. And that's very weird to say out loud, but um, if you learn, like if you actually take a minute to pause and to learn from it. And so that's something that my... Um, husband Dave and I tend to do is when there's a really big mistake, we have a nice bottle of champagne and we just kind of outline the like, how did this happen and how are we never going to try to make sure it doesn't happen again? Uh, you talk a lot about the importance of purpose mm. with what you do. Has, and, and I've noticed that the mission statement of, of NYX has actually evolved mm -hmm. over time. And you've mm -hmm. got a beautiful one currently about empowering women to be unapologetically free. Mm -hmm. Has your purpose evolved as NYX has evolved? What's that relationship been like? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, we always knew we wanted to have a positive impact on, on women's lives. And we wanted to do that through product and through brand. So the product is these technical intimates that are designed with our bodies in mind and they make every day better. The brand really started rooting, rooted in body positivity. And I think what's happened is that as a disruptor, we're constantly looking at what's going on in society and how do we, um, how do we be at the forefront of new conversations? And so that's where I think about, it's been almost two years since we've been working on that, ironically enough. Um, and I think the, um, the main driver of that is that 
it used to be about body positivity, and now I think more and more in general as a culture, it's about um, holistic wellness and being comfortable with who you are. And part of that pertains to how you feel about yourself and your body, but part of it also pertains to um, mental health and bigger, bigger topics that we're now tackling as a brand, like fertility and postpartum and um, loss and mental health. And so um, that's where that transition is coming, is coming from. Well, and can you talk a little bit about the relationship between fertility and all the things that you've been working mm. on with NYX and the Life After Birth Project? Because mm -hmm. this is another, I think it's so interesting that when you started NYX, you were, you know, not necessarily your core customer, yeah. since you've talked openly about like new moms are, yeah. you know, tend to be, you know, people who, who benefit the most from belief proof underwear and whatnot. And now you are your core customer. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, so the fertility piece came from basically understanding who our core audience is. And I mean, we sell to women of all ages. Uh, with our team line, we start as early as, you know, 10, 11. Um, but I had a miscarriage about a year and a half ago, I guess, a year ago. And um, really understood in that moment that fertility is such a huge topic that affects all women, whether or not we're even totally conscious of it. So we're constantly making trade-offs in our head around career, family, partners, identity. And so much of that is rooted in fertility because so much of the female identity is tied to motherhood and that being our purpose, which it isn't only. <laughs> um, well, and fertility is from the beginning of menstruating yeah, all the all way through, Yeah, all the way through, through right? exactly. So it's this really beautiful kind of common thread um, as it pertains to our products and the, the, the people that we serve. And then the Life After Birth Project was really an evolution of that where um, it was my maternity leave project. So I have a six-month-old now and, um, you know, I'm constantly looking at the images that I'm being served online and really felt like within the maternity and postpartum space that there is just so much of the wrong messages being sent um, about, you know, your body bouncing back and getting back to where you were. And I was getting lots of ads for like, I don't know, diet programs and slimming products and... <laughs> They know. <laughs> they know. It, it, it's, a, it's a real insecurity, yeah. right? Like, will my life be the same? Well, how could it possibly be the same? You've just done this amazing thing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so um, through that, we launched the Life After Birth Project. We actually tied it to the launch of our um, maternity and postpartum collection, uh, which took place in August. But it's really taken a life of its own this project. So we've taken it to New York, um, Toronto. We're going to LA on, it launches in LA on Thursday. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, the, it features over at this point now, I think we're at 750 women and people's postpartum experiences, um, and really shares each of their stories. And I think it's an exercise in storytelling, which I'm just such a, a fan of that, um, through shared experiences and, and really using our voices, we can find community and we can change the conversation. And the conversation that we want to have there is to acknowledge women in general and say, we see you and every story is valid. Um, and the idea that 
you are, once you are postpartum, you're forever postpartum. And so this concept that you're going to bounce back or um, go back to the person that you were before isn't, isn't um, it's not relevant and it's actually not fair um, because um, what we should be focusing on is coming out stronger and more whole and... And moving forward. And moving forward, exactly, exactly. Which I think is, you know, um, Meghan Markle, I think, has been an amazing champion as well as a new mom. And so anytime that, like, the royals are onto something, I'm like, there's something here. <laughs> We're going to go well, and I think this. it's awesome, like, within the Life After Birth Project, you do have some, you know women with significant platforms, Amy Schumer, Christy Turlington, yes. you know, whenever someone with a spotlight on their lives puts themselves forward for an issue, it can't help but increase the conversation. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. I think in that particular project, we were just so fortunate that um, almost every person that we reached out to to be a part of it said yes. And um, I think that that just shows how keen people are to talk about this, which is really exciting. Well, and I don't think it is, um, it might not have been intentional, but to me it makes perfect sense that an intimates company would be comfortable having these very intimate and important conversations. Like to me, it just makes sense that that would be baked into what everything, everything that you've been doing. Oh, good. Nicks. I'm so glad that you see that. I remember the day that we, um, sort of came in to pitch the concept to the team and I was only I was not very I was only like a couple of days or a week postpartum or something and they thought I was completely off of the charts in terms of like you want to do what and you want to show these kinds of pictures and but um I I don't know who else would be able to do it so mm -hmm. I love how um with everything that Nix is doing, you yourself have been very transparent about what the journey's been like for you as well. And for entrepreneurs, resilience often comes up as like one of the most important things to foster. And it seems to me that that is again, one of those kind of like, it's like trying to catch water. Like how do you build resilience so that when things are tough, you can double down and be like, like, is it just something that comes from inside you? Is it something that you're careful to surround yourself with people with? Or is it like, you know what, Donna, I don't know. It no, just <laughs> I mean, I think it's, like, I think it's like building a callus, to be honest. Like I, when I, when I look at the things now that get thrown at me almost every single day, and I compare who I am today with who I was six years ago. Like six years ago, if any one of the things would happen, it would be like completely um, debilitating. Is that how I say it? Yeah, debilitating. Debilitating. Thank you. Um, and then I think just over time, you start to learn. Okay, this is a setback, but it's not gonna it's not gonna be the end of, of me or this company. And so over time, it's a muscle and a strength that you develop. Um, and I, I don't know if, I think, I don't know if anyone's born with it. Like, I honestly think you just have to kind of be taken down repeatedly to just get comfortable bouncing back up. And yeah. Well, you mentioned something I think is really important, which is separating like your worth from what's happening with the yeah. company. And I think it's really difficult for entrepreneurs sometimes because those two things like 
who we are and our company can become so intertwined, but it's only really through separating them that you can build that resilience. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, for me, I, especially in the early days, I wasn't the greatest at asking for things for myself or fighting for myself. And so that's why Nix really became such a mission-led organization is because I felt very comfortable advocating for things when it, when it was for a larger mission or purpose. And so that was a technique that I adopted really early on to kind of like get me out of bed in the days when I just didn't want to get out of bed because those days happen <laughs> a lot, <laughs> even still, you know? Um, and the truth is, is that as a leader, like you always have to get out of bed. And not only do you have to get out of bed, but you have to have a smile on your face and, you know, like you set the tone for everyone who works with you. And so um, that's my little like, life tip if I had to give one to other entrepreneurs and founders is to find a mission or cause to align your brand with because number one, it'll make you more resilient than you could ever be on your own. And then secondly, it'll just result in more companies within this country creating larger social impact and good. And um, I think it's a win-win. I can't wait to continue to watch the world domination of, of Nix. What do you think's on the horizon for the intimates category? Mm. Um, I think you're gonna continue to see a lot of disruption. Uh, you know, it's a category that has been dominated by some pretty big players historically where um, large scale distribution was, was really important. And now I think with e-commerce, it's one of the categories that is um, honestly becoming the most disruptive, uh, e even as other um, new brands in, in other areas of fashion struggle, Intimate seems to be the standout. Um, so I think we'll see more of that. I think we'll see more body inclusivity across brands. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I hope that we lead the charge. Mm -hmm. I think you are, Joanna. <laughs> thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. Um, people can follow along at Nixware yep. on your channels, and they can follow you as well. A big thank you to CAFA, our producing partner with Fashion Talks. You can learn more about CAFA at C-A-F-A-W-A-R-D-S. Thank you to Cadillac Fairview and the Eaton Center for hosting us today. I'm Donna Bishop. You can follow me at This Is Donna B. And until next time, this is Fashion Talks. Thanks so much for being here. Here, Joanna. Thanks for having me.